We've been learning about faith in our youth group, and tonight we're going to learn about the result of faith. By having faith in Jesus, something is going to follow called boldness. And that's really what we're going to concentrate this evening. In Acts chapter 4, as you know, that just kind of like a little background, um, the apostles, the disciples, they were on the day of Pentecost waiting for the Holy Spirit as they were commanded by Jesus, waiting for him. And then all of a sudden the, the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. They started speaking in tongues. All kinds of crazy stuff started to happen. And from there we find ourselves in chapter 3 where a lame man, not lame like he's lame, but like he can't walk. This guy was crippled from birth. I know, I'm so funny. He was crippled from birth, and Peter and John walk up to him as they're going to the temple. They see this guy, he's the same beggar every single day, asking for alms and whatever. And so Peter and John see the same guy. This time it's a little different. Now they have the Holy Spirit. They look at him and say, hey, Rise up and walk. Take up your mat and walk. Immediately his bones were strengthened. The ligaments came together and the guy stood up, started leaping up and down for joy, praising God. Steve was pretty excited. Something pretty miraculous happened. And the funny thing is Peter and John drew a crowd. The crowd looks at him and Peter and John's like, what? What's the big deal? Don't you believe in God? Like, didn't you have faith? And everyone's just looking at him like, well, this stuff doesn't happen every day. You don't usually see this lame man suddenly gain the strength to walk again. This is not a normal occurrence. And so the Jewish leaders saw this happening and they started persecuting Peter and John, actually throwing them in prison overnight, as we're going to find out. It says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, came upon them. It was very sad, you see. And, uh, and I'm sorry. This is bad. I did. No, I stole that from Skip Heitzig. Don't worry. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on him and put them in custody until the next day, for it's already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000 people. I think we live in a very similar time to these people, the apostles. You see, because the people, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the Jews themselves believed in God, but not Jesus as the Messiah, not Jesus as the Savior. And you see, a lot of people in our culture believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but don't preach in Jesus' name. Yeah, I believe in God, but don't shove this Jesus thing down our throats. Don't say that the Bible is the only truth. Don't say that Jesus is the only way. We'll believe in God, but not Jesus. A very similar time in our country, and we're going to see what happens with Peter and John in just a little bit. But let's pray and ask the Lord to anoint our time. Father, we come before you, and as we read these scriptures, we know that they are living and powerful and Lord, what comes as a result of this message, we shouldn't be surprised. Instead, we should be expecting, knowing that our God is living and powerful as well. We pray, Lord, that you speak to us in a way unlike any other before, and that we learn something tonight. We learn more about you. And from that, Lord, as we gain a little bit insight of, of your presence and, and who you are, that, Lord, we would walk in love and having a greater desire for your word. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. I think you'll find it hard to find a great work of God that did not face opposition. You think about Noah when he was told, build an ark. Noah had to build an ark in the middle of a desert where they've not even heard of anything like a flood before in their lives. Opposition. When you have Moses telling Pharaoh, let my people go. When Pharaoh said, uh, no, I don't think so. Moses didn't be like, well, I tried, God, and uh, it didn't work, sorry. Opposition. Yet, what came from the opposition after the opposition was a great work of God. 
in the midst of this opposition, we need boldness to obey the Spirit's leading. I think everyone agrees with that. You need boldness from the Lord in order to obey the Spirit's commands. Basically saying, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to take a step of faith. This past Monday, I was in New York City, and as I was, I was walking by, you always see homeless people on the side of the road. But there was one particular homeless person that was a young woman who seemed normal. She wasn't dirty, and she wasn't like, she didn't have a beard, and, you know, <laughs> normal person on the side of the road. She held, she held a sign that says, got kicked out of my house, anything helps. So I walked by once, didn't really think too much of it. I was like, oh, that's pretty sad. Second time walking back, then I started really feeling the Spirit's conviction in, on my heart. Go talk to that girl. And I'm like, no, I, I, I'm pretty good at this. I can ignore this. So I keep walking one block, two blocks, and it just started pounding. And the conviction was so heavy that I was like, okay, the embarrassment of talking to a random stranger is nothing compared to the suffering I'll endure tonight when I'm laying on my bed and the Holy Spirit's like, you're such a failure. Don't you teach people that they should be obeying the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, I know, okay, fine. So I turn around, talk to this girl. I sit down next to her and I tell her, listen, you know, like at this point, the Holy Spirit's so heavy upon me. I'm like, I'll give you whatever you need. I'll, I'll, every, you know, I only had three bucks in my pocket. I was like, I'll give you all the money in my pocket, but if you need food, if you need water, I'll go out and buy it for you. Whatever you need, I will do it for you. But at the same time, even though I could take care of all your temporary needs, that's not going to fill or that's not going to solve the eternal problem that you have. And the problem is that you're searching for meaning and you're searching for purpose outside of God who wants to bring you purpose, who wants to solve your, not just your, your temporal needs, but your eternal needs. So as I'm sharing that with her at first, she's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then as soon as I bring up God, now she's really defensive. Now she's like... She doesn't even want to receive it. She doesn't want to hear it, which I thought was really strange. So I asked her, have you, do you ever pray? you ever find yourself praying? And she said, well, not really. And I, I asked, well, why not? And she said, well, you know, I see myself as a very self-sufficient person. Like, I don't, I don't like asking people for help. <laughs> and at this point, I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude here, but don't you have a sign that says anything helps with a cup in front of it full of money? And she didn't see her, you know, hypocrisy, as it were. So at this point, she rejects everything. She doesn't want a track. She doesn't want my money. Just leave me alone. And I'm like, this bitter person, you know. <laughs> what my flesh wanted to say is this is the reason why you are kicked out in the first place. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm sorry. I prayed for her. I did. But I walked away and I was like, I tried to help someone and I had opposition. You know, and I find in the Christian life, there's something offensive about the name of Jesus. And as you go out proclaiming Jesus, you might even get opposition from people that are in no position to give you opposition. Seriously. I'm becoming like Joey. This is bad. But no, really though. You're going to face opposition in this Christian life. As we were in England, many of you had those conversations where you're talking to some people and they start cursing you off right off the bat. Had this one woman we were talking to and she was so angry at the message we were giving her that she was visibly shaking. And all of her friends noticed it too. She's like, I just wish that you would leave us alone. And then her friends are like, why are you so angry? Why are you so upset? I'm not upset. There's just something about the name of Jesus. So we should expect there to be opposition anytime there's a great work of God in our lives. Spurgeon put it well when he said, Lord, I do not ask for a lighter load. I ask for a stronger back. If you look at what's happening in Acts right now, Luke, who is the author of Acts, catalogs how the church has grown. In chapter 1, we have 120 people to the church. In chapter uh, 2, you have 3,000 people. Then in chapter 4, as we see, 5,000 men alone, suggesting the, the number is well over 10,000 people in the church. 
So you have some mega church growth going pretty much overnight. And what is the result of this? I think the, the, uh, what is the reason for this? I think it's interesting to know that they were growing in the midst of persecution. In the midst of the opposition, this is when the church was thriving. What a contrast to other world religions. You have Islam that grew because, you know, Muhammad went back to Mecca and overtook it with uh, an army. And they had to surrender to him. And then they made sure that they had one Quran that had the one language so that they pretty much legitimized everything from the beginning. And, and then through fear and power, that's how they spread. But Christianity was the opposite. In the midst of fear and power, that's where it thrives. It seems to me that Christianity thrives best when lives are challenged most. Christianity thrives best when lives are challenged most. I'm just kind of reiterating what Jesus said when he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 25, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Imagine yourself in the shoes of these apostles, disciples, followers of Jesus. Being threatened and beaten for the name of Jesus. I think we often exhort each other to speak up when we're at church, right? Like I'm exhorting you right now, speak up, be bold for Jesus. Speak out when you're in college or speak out when you're in high school. When your teachers are speaking against God, you speak up. But interestingly enough, the difference with the early church is that you couldn't shut them up about Jesus. We teach them to speak up and you couldn't get them to shut up about the name of Jesus. Interesting. Why is this? I think it's because they saw as George Mueller did. When George Mueller said, Truly it is worth being poor and greatly tried in faith for the sake of having day by day such precious proofs of the loving interest which our kind father takes in everything that concerns us. George Mueller saw the secret. He ran a children's orphanage and every day they never asked anyone for anything. They relied fully on the Holy Spirit to provide everything they had for the day's rations of food in the children's orphanage. And you'd hear these crazy stories about when uh, a milk cart was just kind of going by and it broke down. Oh, I have all this milk. We're going to have to give it to you. And he saw these precious proofs of the Lord's love in the every day, all because he took the faith to believe that God is one who provides. Interesting. So be really honest with yourself this evening. Do I have that kind of passion for Christ? Not the speak up passion, but the shut up passion. Do I have the passion as Paul had? 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 16, where Paul said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. What is the key? What, what makes these people different from us? What happened here in this church that caused these people to speak with boldness? And as we're going to see in just a moment, these weren't just any people. These weren't like, when you think of the apostles and disciples, don't think about them as these powerful hot shots. Like if you had to think of like the mega pastors of today, if you have to thought of Billy Graham, you know, Greg Glory, these people that speak in front of thousands of people. Don't imagine the apostles as that. Instead, imagine them as cowards, as uneducated, untrained, and a lame guy, like crippled guy. That's how we should picture them as we're going to see in a second. But I want to set the background for this passage that we're about to read um, in verses uh, 7 and going on. But it says in verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? All right, so I need someone to help me out. I need... One crippled guy, and I need one John. John, why don't you come up, John? And I need one guy that's going to be the crippled guy. It doesn't matter who you are. All right, Nick, just run up here real quick. You got to be leaping, leaping up and down for joy. 
I'm going to read this passage. So imagine this. You are the crowd, right? You represent the Sadducees, the high priest, Caiaphas. His entire family came out to surround uh, Peter and John so that they could kill them. So you guys are the angry mob. Now take your hands up like you have stones, like you're about to kill me. That's a lot of people. Now these angry people, shh, shh, pay attention. This is to help illustrate, not distract. These angry people all had stones in their hands. You can put your hands down. Waiting to kill us, three people. They waited till the crowds were gone. So it was just us three people. We got this one guy, lame guy, and we got John. Awesome. Well, so you guys ask, by what power or what name have you done this? Can you just say that for me? You guys are scary. <laughs> All right, here we go. Shh. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You may sit down. <laughs> Give him a round. Applause. Thank you. So check this out. Check this out. The reason why they ask, by what name are you speaking this, um, by what name are you healing is because you weren't allowed to heal by, other, by any other name other than Jehovah, by Yahweh. Because if it was any other name, it was seen as sorcery or, uh, you know, demon possession work or whatever you want to call it, magic. So they were hoping on these grounds by the fact they were not preaching and using the name of Jehovah and Yahweh, but by the name of Jesus, that they could stone them to death and kill them. So Peter, filled with the Spirit, lays on them the most spectacular guilt trip. It's like, if we've done anything wrong by healing some dude, you can kill us. But let it be known that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What happens here? Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Think about who these people are. Apostle Peter, he was a coward. Really, he was. Why do I say that? Because if you remember, not too long ago after this all happened, Peter denied Jesus three times in front of a servant girl. Wasn't a high ruler. He wasn't brought before kings and princes and, and powers. A servant girl says, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Uh, no, I have no idea who that guy is. Just let me inside so I can get warm. Peter, the coward. Peter talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. This is the same guy who said, Lord, I would die for you. And then Jesus said, you can't even live for me. By tonight, you know, you're going to have the rooster crow three times. You're going to deny me three times. Have you had a moment in which you acted cowardly? A moment in which you can identify with Peter and say, you know what? There has been a time in which I denied that I haven't stood up for Jesus. There was a time in which I didn't speak up for Jesus. For me, when I was in college, my first year as a freshman, I'll be honest, I took an acting class. And probably the most embarrassing thing to me was that no one in the class knew I was a Christian until they gave me a script that had curses in it. And they asked me to read this out loud. And I refused. I said, I can't. I'm a Christian. That's the only evidence they had. Now, but by what or in what way are they going to view Christians after I give a testimony like that? They'll probably think that we're all about rules and regulations. Because I didn't have that joy. I was like, oh, I wish I could participate, but I can't because I can't curse. You know, what is your example? Later on, my last semester, I had a philosophy class. And I remember my professor said, uh, 
talking about the Bible that's been changed throughout the years. He said, it depends what version you read in order for the Bible to be accurate or whatever. And I didn't know what to say to him. So I just remained silent and I just boiled in frustration. And so because of that, actually, I got so like passionate that I was like, I'm going to like make him look stupid. I'm going to come back. Like I had notes, like sheets of notes. I brought an entire encyclopedia by Norman Geisler on apologetics into to school one day. I was like, all right, I'm ready. So anytime you like name someone, I like could flip really fast. And that was fun. But you know, spiritual cowardice doesn't only occur when evangelizing. Spiritual cowardice is not just not proclaiming Jesus to unbelievers, but it's also being uh, darkness around people that claim to be believers. Not shining your light around people that claim to be followers of Jesus. Have you ever listened to gossip and not addressed it? Refuse to shine your light. Have you ever been in ungodly conversations? Maybe you weren't active in the conversation, but you were just kind of there and your friends were talking about something that you really shouldn't have been talking about as followers of Jesus, and you just kind of stood idly by. That is being a coward. Why? Because you're ashamed of the name of Jesus. And unfortunately, I'm in that camp with you guys. I too have been a coward many times and been too afraid to stand up for what I knew was true. Sometimes I think you just don't know what to say, and that's okay. It's okay to not know what to say, but the question is, are you resolved to not stay that way? Are you resolved in your mind to say, I don't want to be like this forever. I want to change something. You know, the good thing about being in that philosophy class was, okay, I didn't know what to say, but I was resolved not to stay that way. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. That was Peter. Peter was a coward in that he ran away from a battle that wasn't even there. I mean, come on, a servant girl, was she going to turn him in and then he'd be like killed? Very, very uh, doubtful. In the same way, we run away from battles that we don't even have to run away from. But if I tell them or if I stand up, I'll be persecuted. Realistically, will you really be persecuted? Sometimes we run away from the battles that aren't even there. The godly, though, are as bold as lions. How do you get that boldness? We'll find out later. Secondly, we can see in that verse 13, there were uneducated and untrained people. And I I think we kind of skim over that. And it's like, what part of uneducated and untrained don't we understand? I think the lesson here is that you do not need education and you do not need training to be greatly used of God. That's a surprise. Well, I would go evangelizing if I knew what to say or if I was trained, if I had experience, then I'd do it. It's like, you don't need it. That's exactly why it's written here in the Bible so that you'd be like, oh, I don't need it. And in fact... The word untrained or uneducated in the Greek actually means, uh, it's the word idiotes, which is the word we get from that is idiot. So really this is kind of being reserved in its language for the New King James translation. But it's basically saying, now when they perceived that they were idiots, they marveled. They're like, wow, these dumb people. (laughs) I mean, seriously, that's what the Bible says. But there's something about human nature that suspects that we must be someone significant to be used significantly. And it's just not true. You don't have to know anything except the gospel in order to be greatly used of God. And I think we look at the task in front of us and we say, revival in our church? How is that possible? How is it possible that I can be used? I'm too young. You know, I've thought so many times, especially the one time I had to teach on a Wednesday... I remember the greatest challenge and difficulty for me preaching in front of the congregation uh, on a Wednesday night Bible study was that I was like, I'm so young and inexperienced. What could I ever possibly say to them that they'll ever speak to them? Or they'll be like, oh, yeah, that resonates with me. Or, yeah, I learned from that young 20-something-year-old kid. And so I looked down upon my youth in that way. And you might look upon yourself in the same way by saying, how can I make a difference in my classroom? 
how can I make a difference in my school by me starting a Bible club, by me joining that Bible club? How will my one insignificant uh, uh, existence make a difference for eternity? I think Jeremiah chapter 1 helps us to understand in verse 6 through 8 when Jeremiah says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all who, to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Interesting. You do not need education. You do not need training. All you need is the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. I also like, besides the fact that there's a coward and uneducated person here, I also like the fact that the man who was crippled stuck around. Think about it. This guy was healed and he was free to go. Like, oh, I was healed. All right. Wow, there's a lot of people here. I'm going to run away now. But I think his, his uh, inclusion in the story shows us that a testimony is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process. If you've been changed by the Lord, great. But don't let it stop there. What is God doing with you now? He could have ran off and been like, well, this is too dangerous. But he stood his ground and proved that his testimony is a lifestyle. What is God doing in my life today? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are you hiding your light tonight? Are you hiding your light? And if you have been, that's okay. As Mark Hill says, today's a new day. And you start afresh. You got a new school year in front of you. Those of you going off to college, especially, you have a fresh set of people, most of which you probably do not know in front of you. How will you pre- present yourself? How will you show yourself to other people? Will you blend in or will you light shine before men? Now, as we're going to look in a second, we're going to see the two keys of boldness. How to receive this boldness. As I kind of explained before, by going through this message, my hope and prayer is that you will see something you've never seen before and realize boldness, this supernatural boldness to bring you from a person who has to speak up to a person who can't shut up. That kind of boldness is readily available to you. But in verse 13, when it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they, are, they were uneducated, untrained men, this Greek definition of this word, boldness, means freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech. So the, so the idea, as I said, isn't the speak up idea, it's the shut up idea. Like you can't shut up about Jesus. It's kind of like, if you were in Hoboken this past week, Justin Timberlake was actually at Maxwell's in Hoboken. Yes, I know. I'm really bummed I didn't miss out. But he, he just like two hours before he was playing the show, he was like, hey, I'm going to be at Hoboken. Come hang out with me or whatever. And people flogged over there. I really wish I was there. I don't even know why. I don't even care about Justin Timberlake. But I can imagine you're in Hoboken. Oh, my gosh, Justin Timberlake. You just like freak out. That's the boldness. It's this unreservedness. In speech, it just comes out. You don't even think about what you're saying. Oh my gosh, I want to marry you. It just comes out. <laughs> hopefully you don't have to. <laughs> hopefully that's not coming out of your mouth. But boldness isn't about conjuring up words. It's not being able to hold words back. As Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So here's a thought. Everyone look up here. Have you experienced something that's worth talking about. Have you had an experience with the Lord? I remember in 2009, I was listening to a bunch of messages by Pastor Tim Chaddock of Reality LA. I would listen to one message a day, every single day, because I was out of college, I was working on band promotion, and I, my goal was to get 500 friend requests every single day, and we were getting 500 were added daily to the kingdom of Almighty Proxy. That sounds weird. No, but we were getting these friends' requests for MySpace and whatever back in the day. So I would, for an hour, I'd sit on my computer and listen to a message. 
I remember like hearing stuff and like, okay, I'm going to save that for later. And one day the Holy Spirit just spoke so clearly to me when I remember I was talking to one of my friends and talking about how music is pretty much my thing. And now it's not my idol, but it's just, I love music so much. I can't imagine doing anything else. I told my friend, you know, if God called me to work a nine to five job, just writing something or being a writer or whatever, I would do it, but I would be devastated. That's the word that I used. The next day, I was sitting at my computer like I always do. I was listening to this message. And Tim Chaddock says the same words. He's like, now a lot of people don't think of idols as things like you see statues and stuff. But you can have an idol inside of your heart. And this is the key to know if that's your idol. By saying something like, well, if I don't do, you know, if if music's taken away from me, then I would be devastated. That's what's going to happen to you is that you'll be devastated when you lose your idol. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it just, like, hit me like a, an arrow right in my heart, you know. And I knew that God spoke so clearly to me that I had to tell everybody about it. I just, I couldn't hold it back. I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, this is really sad that this is my idol. But at the same time, this is so exciting that the Lord spoke to me so clearly. Or like when I went to England with a bunch of you guys and I came back, I told the same England story 16 times to different people. I really did. I like memorized the story by now the exact same way. I told it like 16 times. And when you're so excited about something, you're going to talk about it. Craig Rochelle uh, has this quote. He says, we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. You ever get in a dumb argument with your friend? And you're like, you're so wrong. I'm going to cha-cha that. You probably don't cha-cha. Anyone cha-cha anymore? <laughs> Anyone remember cha-cha before the, wa- the world of iPhones? Okay. But now, like, if you have a dispute with your friend, like, Michael Jackson was not born in 1968. He was born in 19... 19- Whatever. And like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Google it. And then you look. You're like, oh, no, I'm wrong. Like, you speak boldly about what you believe deeply, even if it's over something dumb. And so we should take that to evangelism. The apostles had a key to their boldness. The first key was experience with the living God. Their experience caused them to be unreserved about their speech. Unreserved about their speech. They couldn't hold it back. It was just coming out like a fountain. I experienced the living God. And think about it. What did they see? Jesus resurrected from the dead. Tongues of fire when they were all on the, the day of Pentecost sitting in one room and the tongues of fire sitting over their heads. People spoke in tongues. Sick were healed. They saw miracles. It became a normal thing eventually. So normal that when everyone's marveling, like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. You just, the guy was like lame from all, you know, all time that he was born. And Apostles was like, why is that a big deal? It's not a big deal. We saw Jesus rise from the dead. You know, that kind of experience with the Lord. The first key is an undeniable experience. Look at verse 18. So they called them and commanded, him, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of, of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. That sounds like something I would say. I think I'm going to steal that. Like anytime someone says it, like, if you think it's better that I listen to you rather than God, you judge. But I'm going to listen to God. No. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's your key verse. Undeniable experience. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. I don't know why it includes that. Like, I hope it's not saying that 40-year-old people are old because it's not true. (laughs) But doesn't it look like it's saying that? Doesn't that seem offensive? That's what I got out of here. I'm sorry. We love you guys. Anyway, so these people saw this miracle in front of them. And now a crippled man stands before even the Sadducees, and they could not say anything against them. Isn't that pretty awesome? Like, this evidence was right before them, and they couldn't punish them either because they're like, well, I guess God's glorified, and this guy's healed, so what can we really do? Like, punish them, like, don't heal people and don't praise God. Oh, wait, we're the priests, and we're supposed to do both of those things, and that happened today. All right. So let me ask you, have you seen anything? Have you heard anything? Do you have an undeniable experience like Paul the Apostle? 
who, going on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden his life stopped, met Jesus, and he was changed forever. I was going to kill Christians, and now I'm saving other people who aren't Christians. Strange, undeniable experience. How cool would it be to shine your light so brightly that the world could not say anything against you? To have a testimony, and I know one of my friends who was saved from addiction of drugs. And it just seems like this is an undeniable experience. You know, I was deep in heroin. I was deep in these different drugs. And now I'm saved from it. And the only explanation is Jesus. Now you tell me if I should stop preaching in the name of Jesus. One of those kinds of experiences. I mean, how cool is a testimony that's like that? And if you have not had an experience with God, that's okay. Go meet God. There's your first solution for boldness. Go have an experience with God. If you don't have it, don't sit around and be like, well, I think I had an experience. I'm pretty sure, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I've never really sensed it, but I think that's okay. No, go have an experience with God. Go meet with the Lord. I'm not necessarily saying it's a miraculous thing, but don't doubt it either. If you've never experienced anything miraculous, that's okay, but don't doubt that God can do something miraculous in your life. I mean, would you really want to pray a prayer like, God, don't ever show me a miracle. Don't ever heal anyone that's ever sick in front of me because I don't want to see any miracles. No, if it's there, just welcome it, even if your theology doesn't dictate that. Be open to the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 is a very important verse to support this point. Do not quench the Spirit. Many people forget the verses after that. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't hold the Holy Spirit back from what he wants to do. Following verses, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Are you the type of person that, that hears things in youth group and maybe there's a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge and say, and, and someone in youth group just like, you know, I just, I felt like the Lord just wanted me to say this to you and maybe that's true or maybe that's not. And you're saying, yeah, it's probably not the Lord because the Lord doesn't do miracles in our day anymore. He stopped that a long time ago. Do not despise prophecies. Do not quench the spirit. He wouldn't give that exhortation if it wasn't able to be quenched. And it is possible through your unbelief, your refusal to believe the spirit of God, that you could quench him. Test all things. Not saying every spirit is good. You know, there are definitely abuses of the spirit of God and misrepresentations of the spirit of God. And a lot of people say, oh, the Lord's calling me to do this and that. And you're like, no, he wasn't. Stop that. That was just the fact that you were hungry today. You know, your stomach's growling and it just feels like you're saying something, but it's, it's not true. That's why we are to test all things. John Stott said, nothing seals the lips and ties the tongue like the poverty of our own spiritual experience. We say nothing because we have nothing to say. Powerful. It's true. If you don't have an undeniable experience with Jesus, Go out and meet with Jesus. That's how you're going to have boldness. Second way to have boldness is in verse 23. And we're almost done, so don't worry. Verse 23. So exciting. Where are we? Here we go. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and, and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and, and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined to, before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now, this is, it, it strikes you strange that they're praying for boldness. It's like, weren't you bold enough? After they stood up to these leaders, after Peter preaches this thing, after he demonstrates his boldness, even though he's an idiot, then he prays, Lord, now give us boldness, really. No, really, give us boldness. You can never have too much boldness. I think that's what it shows us. But also notice that after being let go, they went to their own companions. They went to the fellowship of believers. 
they got together. They could have said, oh, wow, that was close. We almost died. Let's never do that again. But instead, they wanted more of Jesus. But what in the midst of discouragement could possibly empower that passion? I think it's the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting thing is that in the midst of oppression, in the midst of persecution, they rallied together to pray. And I have to ask, is that our first action? When you have people oppressing you, opposing you, how do you react? This year, when your college professors, those of you that are leaving, or maybe your high school teachers, command you not to speak at all in the name of Jesus, how do you react? When they say, don't bring, don't bring your religion in school, because I've had professors say this before, that's okay, you're free to believe wherever you believe, let's just, for the sake of this classroom, pretend we're not anything. You know, people say those kinds of things, and when that happens, do you fight or do you flight? Do you fight, you want to tackle it head on, or do you flee, run away, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to do in this situation. Their reaction was neither to fight nor flight, but to gather together and pray. And that's what we need to do. And this is the importance of what we're talking about here tonight, especially if you're leaving this youth group because you're going off to college. It's not like we're kicking you out and we're like, all right, goodbye. We want you to leave so you can experience the world and come back so we can pray for you and gather together in one place and, and see what the Lord is doing in our lives and pray for boldness. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the only way you fight that battle is through prayer. I added that last part. That's not in the Bible, but it's true. Notice how they prayed. They identified, it, they identified the problem. Hope you're okay. They identified the problem when they said, all these people, you know, the priests and elders, they said this, and against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, all this stuff happened. They're persecuting us, and they acknowledged the solution. And they said, even though they were gathered together, they did whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They acknowledged that God was the solution to their problems. So as you go through spiritual battles, oppression, etc., you need to identify the real problem and acknowledge the solution. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41 says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So this is our action. This is the second key to boldness that we need. It's to gather together in one place and pray for boldness. First is undeniable experience. And secondly, pray for boldness. Gather together, pray for boldness. I can't emphasize that enough. To watch and pray as you see the world around you, you're watching, you're seeing, and you're praying for God's will to be done. You're gathering together, you're seeing what's happening in the world and say, okay, we've seen this person persecuted in their college classroom, we're going to pray about it. Lest you fall into the temptation. Temptation for the disciples when Jesus said this was falling asleep. And that's exactly what you and I, brothers and sisters, could possibly do. Is fall asleep and forget the goodness of God. Forget the spirit of God working in our lives. You are the light of the world. Don't quench the spirit. And also watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why we need each other to encourage one another to make sure we're not falling asleep, that our flesh isn't getting weakened, but we're empowered when we come together in the name of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon has this quote. He says, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Look at verse 31. After they prayed, it says, when they had prayed in verse 31, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Isn't that awesome? When they prayed for boldness, they received not this kind of like miraculous tongue thing. They received the word of God with boldness, the ability to preach the word. And that's exactly what you get when you pray for the Lord to give you boldness. You get what? 
In verse 32, you find out, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did any, anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So you find out you get love and power to speak the word. Interestingly enough, I've noticed that as you get more of the word and more of love, you're realizing that you get the word is God and, and God is love. So you're getting more of God when you pray for boldness and that's what God gives you. He gives you more of himself. So in conclusion, this fall, no matter where you are, whether you're a coward, uneducated, you feel like you're a nobody, you're just a cripple sitting on the side of the road waiting for God to intervene. As a youth group, we have an opportunity to be bold like never before. Now, let me lay out for you what's going to be happening this fall, which I think is so exciting. But I need your help. And I need you guys to be praying that the Lord moves mightily in this youth group like never before. And in this church like never before. This fall, around the end of October, as I said, we're learning about evangelism next week. And I'm, I want you guys to be equipped so that as you go into your schools, you know how to face the objections. You wouldn't be like me who's in my college classroom being like, I wish I knew what to say, but I just don't, I don't have the knowledge to say anything. I want to speak up, but I don't know how to, to, to say it. And so we're giving you those tools by, for the entire month of September, we're going over evangelism and some of the most common objections to Christianity, evil, suffering, hell, etc. So by you guys being equipped in that month, when it comes to October, October is all about reaching the lost. I mean, pretty much everyone here has been like, raise your hand if you've been coming to youth group since Ignite, junior high youth group. It's a lot of people. You guys have been in the game for a long time. And maybe it's never really become real to you until just now. And that's fine. That's great. Because the Lord wants to use you right where you are. And I think God's gearing us up so that we can go out and bring others in. So the plan is to have entire uh, fall into maybe even 2014 be centered around verse by verse through the book of John. Now the book of John explains that Jesus is God. That's why it's designed and that's the purpose why it's written in, in John chapter 20. It says that. And so we're going to take Gospels of John, uh, as we do take Gospels of John. People hand them out because it's kind of like a gospel tract. And people hand them out to other people that aren't believers and stuff like that. We're going to be taking those into our schools, into uh, our neighborhoods, and giving people the gospel. So that they come into the church and hear about Jesus. And we're going to throw out an entire PR campaign. So we're having a sermon series title for the entire book of John. So this is something we've never done before, uh, which is also exciting. But the theme behind the entire book of John that we're using is called A Leap in the Dark. So we're going to have t-shirts that say A Leap in the Dark in them. We're going to have Facebook banners and Instagram icons and stuff, all with this cool little graphic that we're having designed that says A Leap in the Dark. So people think... It's like a band shirt or something like, oh, what band is that? Oh, you have a CD by them or whatever. And they think it's a band and it's not. So then you can explain when people say to you, what is a leap in the dark? You can say to them that everyone, uh, the phrase a leap in the dark means to do something without uncertainty or with uncertainty on where you're going. Uncertainty of the outcome or, or what you're doing. And everyone has beliefs about important questions like, is there life after death? What's the best way to live my life? Does God exist? And I think that all of us feel equally that we're in the dark. We're walking in darkness, trying to find our way to the truth. But the difference between every other belief and faith in Jesus Christ is that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So you can say to people, I've taken a leap in the dark and found the light switch, and you can too. So the purpose behind that is we believe that God is light. We're to be the lights of the world too, shining that light in the darkness. And since people don't know where they're going, we have the truth and we can bring it to them. And that's the perfect thing for this postmodern era where everyone says, there is no truth, we're all in the dark, we don't know where we're going and whatever. But if Jesus really is a light, we believe that he can shine the light in the darkness and you can see where you're going. So we're going to make a video which puts what I just said more concisely 
and a little bit better. I try to formulate that so in, into something more catchy. So we'll make a video of that, kind of like a cool little illustrative video. I'm working with Dave Buchanan. And some of you guys, if you're willing to get in that and can use that as a promotion to get the rest of the church involved and those of you that aren't here tonight to hear this message involved so that you understand that entire month going from October on, we're to be bringing people into the church so that we can see God's kingdom furthered. Not because we want the youth group to grow, but because we want to see God's kingdom advanced. I'm really excited for that. And I'm really excited to see what God does. But you need boldness before we do stuff like that first. Because I can come up with the perfect PR campaign and let's go and attack these people and not like really attack them, but like, you know what I'm saying. We can address this problem and promote this. But if it's not done with the Holy Spirit, it means nothing. This is a supplementary tool to what you guys already have in God. So, all that to say, it seems like the boldness comes by experience with God and gathering of the saints to pray. This is the importance, ladies and gentlemen, of the Sunday night of prayer, especially if you're leaving impact. As the disciples went out into the world, now it's your time to go out into the world. And we want to rally around you as this is the final night before you go into school. There's no other better way to end your summer than gathering with the saints to pray. So I'm really asking all of you guys, I'm pleading with you guys, as we talked about at the retreat, come this Sunday, 6 p.m. for the prayer, worship, and communion service. We'll all be in one place to pray for boldness and see if the Lord would not answer and that the place would be shaken. How cool would that be? We've never had 80 kids on a Sunday night of prayer. How much would that bless the congregation? How much would that show that God is doing something in our youth group by proving with our lives that we really believe God's word, that if you pray for boldness by gathering with the saints, you're preparing for that opposition and God's going to grant you that boldness. You are the light of the world. Don't quench the spirit. And watch and pray.